Hi, this is Terry Reardon from the Magpie Garden. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. Welcome to the Pizza Farm, where we are hard at work growing the ripe, juicy pizzas your kids love. What could be healthier than this? Acres of pizza kissed by the sun, stretching as far as the eye can see. Mmm. Fresh pepperoni straight from Mother Earth. We also have orchards of taquito trees soaking up the minerals and vitamins from the sun before we pick them and deliver them straight to those school lunch trays. Can I have one? You sure you don't want an apple? Ew, no way. (laughs) Here you go. You see, kids know what their bodies need. My teeth feel soft. Go away. These fields produce hot, moist, sloppy joes all year round. Thanks to the nutrients and the cola we use to water them. Like mother's milk. Listen, if it's on a plant, it's good for you. Who cares how it got there? French fries are practically salads, which is why I like mine with ranch. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877 877- 7-11-56-11. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. And by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights. USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. And welcome to the show on a very bright day here in the heartland in the Midwest and a very cold one. You know, it's interesting. Uh, we, we're, <laughs> our, our guest here, who is Lisa Hilgenberg from the Chicago Botanic Garden, and today we're talking seeds, so it's, it's appropriate that I have my mm-hmm. Peterson Garden Project parka on. Let's give Peterson Garden Project couple of dings, uh, mainly because they're really good at teaching people how to grow things. Um, if you go to my website, MikeNovak.net, I will, I will plug that right away because we have a ton of links where you can go to get information about seeds. And I'm not saying you need to start them today. You need to start researching them today. We're at the end of January. Uh, and this is when people, you know, some people will say, hey, I'm already behind. 
won't they, Lisa? We always feel like we're behind if we're gardeners. <laughs> yeah, right? but, but you grow 50,000 plants at the Chicago Botanic Garden. That's true. And the planning for 2019 is done in 2018. So we do things a year in advance. So I'm looking at 2020 right now. So the, wow. the rest of us just sort of muddle along. And when it gets to March or no, usually May, I go, hmm, maybe I should have started those seeds. Uh, I guess I'm putting them straight <laughs> in the ground now, huh? Okay. Yeah, let's do that. Beans. Yeah, they're easy to I'll just throw some beans. Let's see what comes ground. out of the compost pile. Maybe that'll work. Uh, boy. But the point I was going to make is that it in the, uh, the Midwest here, uh, in the Chicago area and, and environs, and I guess that includes, I'm not exactly sure where what it includes because i was listening yesterday to our uh program broadcast on kota in rapid city south dakota give those folks a ding and they were doing the forecast and they're saying oh yeah tuesday will be in the 30s and so forth and i'm thinking whoa 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 we're we're we have life threatening temperatures coming in the middle of the week in Chicago. You guys in, in the Dakotas are supposed to be a lot colder than we are here, but that's not true. For a Minnesota girl, this is just a piece of cake. It's not life-threatening. Dress for it with layers and layers and lots of wool and long johns and Norwegian sweaters. That's my motto. Uh, and our meteorologist, Rick DeMaio, several days ago, I, I'm going I to give him a couple of dings there because he posted something on our Facebook page, you can go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook, uh, and he posted something about how the middle of the week was going to have temperatures in. Whoa! That's sorry. Is that you? Okay, sorry. I heard uh, one of our computers was one of our computers was playing was us, echoing was, us. Was, was playing us back. <laughs> you got to be careful when you turn these things on around here. But anyway, Rick had uh, posted on the Facebook page that we were going to get to the minus twenties. And and somebody wrote to me and said, well, Tom Skilling says it's only going to be the minus teens. And I, <laughs> I wrote to Rick and I said, well, Tom Skilling says it's only going to be in the minus teens. And, and Rick said, take a look at the maps. Here's the charts. Here, here's the model. Take a look at it. And it says minus 20s. And so I think he's going to be right. And now the other people are starting to adjust downward. So... Minus 20s is what we can expect on Wednesday morning in Chicago. Eh, hopefully it's all just... But Lisa, Lisa <laughs> just, Lisa's going to be out there having a picnic. What a great time to read some seed catalogs, <laughs> plan your garden, come inside, look at a beautiful orchid show that's getting ready, getting set up right now, ah. and um, enjoy the winter uh, planning gardening. Yeah, we have seed catalogs, we have advice on how to start seeds. We have advice how to swap seeds. It's all today on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Lisa Hilgenberg is here, and we'll have more after this. This is Peggy Malecki. Do you want to give your veggie seedlings a head start next spring? Then do what I do. Put them under a Happy Leaf LED grow light, and you'll never go back to shop lights again. 50,000 plus hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code MIKE. Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights. Your plants will grow bigger, faster, and better. Wild Things is back, and good grammar has not went. 
We're talking about the 2019 Wild Things Conference on February 23rd at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country as naturalists, citizen scientists, conservationists, birders, and more converge for nine hours of seminars, comedy, workshops, and goodwill. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a media sponsor again this year. Go to wildthingscommunity.org. Hey, this is Peggy, and I'm here to tell you about Natural Awakening Chicago Magazine, your independent go-to resource for everyday wellness. Natural Awakenings is still the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. For more than eight years, we've been helping you find ideas and resources to lead a healthier, more fulfilling, and sustainable lifestyle. Each month, we take a fresh look at nutrition, wellness, fitness, complementary medicine, personal growth, and green living. Natural Awakenings includes great articles about raising healthy kids, too. And we include lots of ideas for your home, your garden, and taking care of our planet. If you like good food, you'll love our tasty recipes and meal ideas. And check out our monthly calendar. It's full of local events to keep you inspired and connected. Natural Awakenings is available throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. This is your talk. Hey, this place is really something else, huh? Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Now I got those old Milwaukee, bag them up, Milogan night blue. Okay, and the reason I'm playing that, this is a shout-out. I don't do a lot of shout-outs on the show, but a, a buddy of mine, he's actually the photographer for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, and I do a column for Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. And I've known Ron Capek for uh, 16 years since I've been doing my column there, and he was there a lot longer than that. Um, and he had some major surgery recently, so... I don't know if he's listening this morning. He might be. He was looking forward to it, and I had to throw some Melorganite blues in there for him because he gave me that whole thing, and he and he allowed me to uh, to have it so that I could play it. So mainly when you know when we have uh, Melissa Melissa Melinda Myers on the show. When we have Melinda Myers from Milwaukee on the show, I play the Melorganite Blue. I got those old Milwaukee. Okay. Bag them up, Milorganite Blue. And uh, we play that for her. <laughs> and and other, other parts of the song. So, Ron, I'm sending out the best to you. Come on, dude. Get better. Get out there because he's a fantastic photographer and one of the great things about getting Chicagoland Gardening magazine and you can go to chicagolandgardening.com and it doesn't matter where you are. If you're in zone five anywhere or four or six, all of those zones across the United States, grab a copy. You know, that's the thing about gardening. Um, If you got the zone, obviously there are differences because a zone eight in um, in uh, the Pacific Northwest, say, is different from a zone eight in Southern California. One's dry, one's wet. Um, still, a lot of zone fives, fours, and threes are very similar in the kinds of things you can grow and the kinds of weather you have. Uh, so I'm saying if you pick up Chicago Land Gardening Magazine, you're going to get to see the photos by Ron. Well, uh, and we're and we're wishing him the best and getting him back on his feet so he can take more photographs. So Ron. 
That's for you, buddy. <laughs> and you get two dings. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are so thrilled. And I say this all the time, but today I actually mean it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to ding. Thank you. Yes. And you, you are allowed to ding anytime you want. Just reach on over there. Thank you. And, and do that. Lisa Hilgenberg, uh, who's a horticulturist at the Regenstein Fruit and Garden, uh, Fruit and Vegetable Garden. That's Hello. right. The Fruit and Garden Garden at the, uh, at the Chicago Botanic Garden. Uh, and uh, as I mentioned earlier, all she does is grow 50,000 plants each year. <laughs> ah, piece of cake, right? Piece of cake. It's wonderful work. I feel like I have the best job in the world. We have sort of one of edible every edible plant that can be grown in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So it's a beautiful edible landscape. It sounds like my yard, one of everything. and Oh, and except you have more than one of each thing. But We, we do. So, so let's say, okay, let's start there. You, you, you get a plant that you like and, and pick one. Uh, give me one that you picked last because you say you, you do this a year in advance. What did you pick last year? Something that you were really excited about growing this season. I'm really excited about growing prism kale, which is hmm. uh, an All-American Selections winner. It's a super performer. It's um, sort of a very cold, hearty, uh, uh, curly kale that can be planted out. You know, timing is everything in the vegetable garden. So uh, we... When you uh, say planted out... In, it can in, be planted out into the garden. Directly into the... Sown directly into the garden or no? No, transplanted into the garden. Transplanted. Okay. So, that's so, pla- a, so let's get our terms straight. You know, if you're saying planted out, that means you've grown it from seed and you're taking that seed uh, or that plant, the starter plant, in, into the garden. That's true. We uh, have started that plant in our new production greenhouses. And we have an organic vegetable house where those plants are started and um, then they're ready to go as uh, six to eight weeks old transplants, and then we'll plant those out in the garden between April 1st and April 15th, somewhere in that range. And prism kale just happens to be this beautiful, um, dark, curly green kale. Um, and it's uh, something that can grow in hanging baskets. It can hmm. grow uh, really well as a filler in container designs, and then certainly as a row crop. And it's a plant that really uh, grows throughout the season. It can be um, Harvested well into the fall, so it will last in your garden throughout the year. Well, I find that most kale does pretty well. Yeah, I I had kale growing up until we get the first really nasty cold. And actually, I'm waiting to see if it survives the winter because one of the things that happened is we dumped snow on the other week. Um, and sometimes that insulates plants, and sometimes they. I've it's had true. kale survive the winter Absolutely. and come back. Absolutely. Uh, so kale yeah. is one of the. And this is a particularly adorable. wonderful. Um, and uh, that's prism. P r i z m. And you say Z-M. That's because right. of the colors. Um, because it's just such a de- dependable plant, so it's been designated as an All American Selections. And which by the is, way, you should go to allamericaselections.org, and it's an independent, nonprofit organization that tests new, never before sold varieties for the home gardener. After a full season of anonymous trialing by volunteer horticulture professionals, they do not include me on that list. <laughs> Only the top garden performers are given the AAS Winner Award designation for their superior performance. And so that's one of the places you go for some of your plants. Yeah, absolutely. That's really important to us. We want things to be as ornamental as possible and certainly as productive as possible, too. So we're balancing both of those things in our uh, vegetable beds in the fruit and vegetable garden. And if people are watching on Facebook, I posted the link to the Kale Prism on the All-America Selection site. Oh. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, I need to see what that looks like because I'm 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 a fan of kale, even if <laughs> even if I don't always harvest all of it. Uh, I love the way it looks. Okay. It's an architectural plant yeah. in the garden. It's a beautiful, beautiful love plant, kale. especially when you get dinosaur kale and that and that kind of stuff. Totally. That's that's yeah. one. Of, you know, if you if you want to get your kids interested in gardening, tell them you're going to grow dinosaur kale, <laughs> and tell them that the dinosaurs ate this millions of years ago, which is not true, <laughs> or it might be. We don't know, really. Well, and that's a little bit different type of kale. Um, this is uh, the prism is sort of a curly kale, uh, more of a Siberian type, yes. and I would say that the Nero di Toscano would be um, the dinosaur kale. Yeah. That's, Have you heard about the Row 7 Seed Project? That's also an interesting project um, that Dan Barber is working on in um, New York at Stone Barn Farms. And so uh, we have we'll have a few of these plants. I grew this Badger Flame Beet last year, and the marketing is so great. Bad, um, let me see that Badger that Flame got, Beet. She's and got that, the seed packet. Badger, yeah. as in all, oh, as in Wisconsin badger, as in honey badger, because they have such a great breeding program there, and that that plant is out of that breeding program. And so, um, they're breeding for culinary use. So yeah, they, not only beauty, but um, the taste and. Um, just trials in in kitchen testing as well as garden. I testing. think he did a lot with butternut squash last year, if I recall. He has got seven or eight new <clears throat> crops that are that are out. There's a small little um, squash that sort of fits in the palm of your mm-hmm. hand that I'm looking forward to trying as well. And the honey badger looked at the badger flame bead and said, "Oh, that's nasty." Okay, and uh, but uh, do you see <laughs> what that package says? It says it's going to reclaim the beets or uh, reframe the beet's sturdy reputation or something. It's very funny. Uh, yeah, I, you know, here's the thing about beets. Very, uh, let's see where it says here. Uh, you all, all the veg, vegetal sweetness yeah. of a beet without the polarizing earthiness. earthiness. See, but that's what I like about beets. The I'm polar- sorry, <laughs> the polarizing. <laughs> I love the alienating earthiness of beets, and I hear these. There's there's some of the stations around that do this beet uh, juice st- commercials, mm-hmm. and they say, "Hey, now in black cherry," and I go, "Oh my goodness, you're just going to ruin a beet. Beet should not taste like black cherry. A beet should taste like a beet. And if and and if you have any, and I'm not, a, I don't have a particularly sophisticated palate. All right, I don't." But I love beets, and I love the earthiness of beets. I would suggest this beet. We mm-hmm. grew it last year. Um, they just started this program, and and uh, we grew it last year. It was, um, you know, relative. It wasn't uniform like I would have expected. So it was a little bit uh, more inconsistent in size, and that may have had to do with conditions. But mm-hmm. you can also harvest the greens of beets, which are so nutritious. And so if you, um, you know, it's a very useful plant in the garden. The other um, piece for beet growing and just sort of applicable to what we're talking about today, um, seed starting is just that you can start beet seed directly in the garden or you can um, yes. transplant it as a small uh, start that you've it's started It's one of inside. those dual ones. Not all plants uh, work that way. Not all plants like being planted either way. Some you have to do uh, in advance in your home or get them started. And some, um, they work much better when you just sow them directly into the garden. That's true. And there's a um, sort of a seed starting date calendar that I would love for people to check out on Johnny's website. Many of the mm-hmm. seed companies have these um, calendars available and you can plug in your fro- last frost date. So for Chicago, we used May 15th. and um, That's what I used. Did you? Yeah, I actually yeah. went and looked it up. I'm holding up the Johnny seed catalog right now. She's yeah. holding up the Johnny seed catalog. And by the way, you do not have to go to Johnny's Selected Seeds to find that. You can go to MikeNovak.net. Right. 
And uh, I have that link. I have a bunch of other links. And basically, you go there and you just type in your zip code and um, and you type in the, the last uh, – the average frost-free date of your area. Right. Right, exactly. And, well, actually, actually, you type in the average frost-free date. What I did is then I went to another site. I went to Dave's Garden, uh, and I put that link there because Dave's Garden is the one that's – if you put your zip code in, it will tell you the average frost-free date. And it gives you a range. It says if the yeah. temperatures have been like this in the spring, you can expect it now. And if they haven't been, then you expect mm-hmm. it then. Nothing beats being a weather watcher, though, and making these <laughs> – uh, you know discerning sort of um, decisions on your own. Um, I think that's important to know sort of the nuances of that. So we can't underestimate um, gardener's knowledge. But I think so if you plug in May 15th or May 4th, excuse me, May 14th for our last frost date, then you um, get the number of weeks that you're going to try to grow that plant indoors. So four to six weeks is the optimum time to grow a beet indoors. And then that would give you a range of March 19th to April 2nd to start that plant inside. So it does all the math for you. It's right here. Um, And so then it it gives you sort of a harvest... the setting out date of April 30th, and it's it's cool. So like tomatoes, if you look at tomatoes. And you have this all printed up. Good. I have it printed up, and it's just a great resource. Who can remember all of this information? Well, that's and, what I was going to ask you. Know, I work you. off a, off a ca- uh, calendar like this, which is the 52-week calendar. So that's how we do our production. And that's from and that's, um, Ball Seed. Oh, I can hold that one That's up from too. Ball Seed. See, now, if I had known that, I would have put that link up there. Uh, uh, I hope uh, folks can see that on the on Facebook. But you can go to Ball Seed. Let's uh, let's see if we can find that. I'm gonna. In fact, I'm gonna. Ball go- Seed has so many great plants, um, useful plants, plants that become All American selections, and um, so they have created a calendar that I use on a daily basis just to um, sort of um, guide the planting um, and the timing of things. So yeah. um, we are in week four now, um, starting. Um, Not- actually, we're in week five. We're already in yeah. week five. Wow. That hurts. It hurts yeah. me. <laughs> and, yeah. of course, you've got to look again at microclimates. And it, totally. Just because you're in that zone, it might be different where you are. That's true. I feel like closer to the lake where, um, you know, we can be a little protected, but sometimes we stay colder. It mm-hmm. just depends on, you know, um, those kinds of things. And I feel like within the the... Um, Regenstein Fruit and Vegetable Garden, there are little microclimes as yeah. well. I know that along that south-facing um, window of the glass house that um, the small space garden warms up just a little bit more than other areas out in the orchard. And one thing that I use and recommend um, for a tool for gardeners is this um, soil thermometer. So it's a great way to gauge really what's going on. Once the snow melts, um, pop this in the ground and take a soil temperature, and that will help guide some of your planting as well. So spinach and radish can be planted out when they're, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just um, barely 40 degrees. So they can take a lot of cold in the soil. And so those would be the first crops that we could plant in the Spinach and radish. Spinach Spinach and and radish. radish. Yeah. And what about if you have a cold frame? How will that affect it? I think a zone or two higher. So we could expect protection on um, three weeks or four weeks on either side of the season. So I think we can extend our season through the use of cold frames for Mm -hmm. sure. And um, uh, if you have a small, it's a great place for hardening off vegetable plants as well. So if you started some things in your kitchen in a a sort of a humidity dome or under lights, you could potentially start to um, introduce those new little seedlings into the outdoors by 
covering them in the cold frame. Now, the question is, when do you start those little seedlings indoors? And that's why you have those charts, right. because you back time. Exactly. It's, like, it's like being in radio. When you're getting out into a commercial break, you need to back time the music so you know when, <laughs> when to get out. Same true. thing in gardening. That's true. Absolutely. <laughs> it's about the garden math. And having something like this can really, really help, um, help guide that. So we're thinking about tomatoes in late March. Not necessarily in February. That will be too early. The yeah, plants but, but will be folks, too big. They all want to start them now. And I what happens? You know what happens? They get leggy and they get okay. weird. That's true. But yeah. you can start. This is what I suggest. If you are absolutely itching to start some plants inside, come on over to the seed swap, which is happening this afternoon, um, three to five at the Chicago Botanic Garden. It's going to be a lot of fun. We've got great speakers and lots of um, things to learn, lots of seeds to share. Um, But if you don't have any seeds... Try some seeds at home. Take some home Mm -hmm. for a lettuce mix or take some home for um, a basil. And you can potentially grow some microgreens right in your kitchen today. So you can start that this afternoon and in a nice... Finely grained mm-hmm. seed starting mix. And and we would advise using your Happy Leaf LED grow light, which uh, is fabulous for growing those sorts of things. Right. In fact, in fact, I think it's time for me to get my microgreens going indoors because mm-hmm. I, I don't have any right now. And it's uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to survive in my home right now with, with the cold weather and doing a, a little kitchen remodeling. But other than that, uh, everything's you, you, just... You need some microgreens. I you need, need some, some microgreens. coming so, in your home. I really do. Probably have some uh, carry-out containers from the, all the food you've been carrying into your home if you're having your kitchen redone. So poke some holes in the bottom of those We have plenty of those. And, and we, and we use just, them, yeah. You're, yeah, you're Those set. little uh, clamshells and other things yeah. like that, they are so... Perfect for growing these Perfect. little seedlings. Perfect. So don't throw them away. Try to reuse them at least once since we've discovered that clamshells can't actually be recycled, which just makes me crazy, but I don't want my head to explode now. The Mike Novak <laughs> Show with Peggy Malecki. Lisa Hilgenberger's here. We'll be right back. Hey, Chicagoland. When you want the best science-based tree care in the area, go to Bartlett Tree Experts. With locations in Barrington, Naperville, Chicago, and Northbrook, Bartlett has 80 tree care professionals ready to do what's right for your tree and you. Whether it's your home or your business, a large job or a small one, every tree needs a champion. Call Bartlett for a free estimate. Go to Bartlett.com. From boat to doorstep. You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Do you love trees? Do you have a great story to tell about a special tree in your life? The Morton Arboretum and Open Lands have partnered to launch Tremendous Tree Stories, an online collection of stories highlighting people's connections to trees. Submit stories of the trees you cherish, remember from your childhood, or that hold a special meaning for you. Browse their collection and consider sharing your own tree story by visiting tree-stories.org. That's tree-stories.org. 
You can enjoy fresh local food all winter long at indoor farmers markets hosted by different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April 6th. Your purchase of sustainably produced food helps support regional farm families. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of all faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule, go to faithinplace.org. Oh, here come catalogs, here come catalogs filled with bulbs and seeds. Pictures of the perfect plants that every gardener needs. There's a lily of a color no one ever has seen. It will die within a month, its zone is rated 15. <laughs> oh, here come catalogs, here come catalogs, you ring me to spend. They'll accept my MasterCard for roses without end. There are months of cold before us, gardens withered and sealed. We'll be broke before it's hot, cause catalogs are here. Cause catalogs are here. Catalogs are here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Frozen Robins, ladies and germs. Uh, catalogs are here. Uh, it's a little hard to understand the lyrics in the first part, but that's my favorite phrase where he says, there's a lily of a color no one ever has seen. It will die within a month. Its zone is rated 15. Uh, and <laughs> and that's a word of warning for all you people with uh, ordering from catalogs. Uh, right, Lisa? Read the fine print. Read the fine print. <laughs> Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We are talking seeds because it's that time of year to at least talk, even if. And again, I don't, I don't want to panic people and say, "Oh my goodness, you missed the launch window." No, this is the perfect time to figure it out. That's why you're having the seed swap today, and there are others in the area. And you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net, if you're in the area, and a great. A list by uh, our friend Sarah Batka from Illinois Extension. Uh, she put together a list of seed swaps. There, a couple of them have ha- happened already. We got one today. There's more in the future. Uh, and, you know, if you've been hanging on to those seeds, you don't know what to do with them. Uh, and even if you don't, you can go to a yeah, seed so swap and usually score some. How does it some. work? Absolutely. It's well, it's National Seed Swap Weekend, really. Mm-hmm. It's designated and it's happening all over the country. And at Chicago Botanic Garden this afternoon, we have um lectures and we have some um very interesting um um how-to displays that will be happening along with this incredible seed swap that's happening from 3 to 5. So, come one and come all and you don't have to have any seeds to share. So just come, bring yourself. And we'll give you some seeds. Um, some have been collected from plants we've grown in the fruit and vegetable garden. Some have come from our friends and vendors around, um, you know, uh, and we've traded and collected mm-hmm. and, and worked on these seeds for a long, long time. And so we're ready for you. There are lots and lots of uh, tables set up and seeds. There's germination testing. There will be a sort of a... Uh, how to direct sow um, or how to get seedlings started in your kitchen. So there will be a whole um, display on sort of seeding and getting ready, uh, propagation, mm-hmm. if you will. A connoisseur's corner. So if there's an obscure tomato or pepper that you've been really interested in getting your hands on, you can potentially uh, score some seed at our connoisseur's corner. 
And the lecture today is given by a woman who's on the board of the Seed Savers Exchange, um, Jovan Sage. And she is a food, she's described as a food alchemist. And hmm. I can hardly wait. I think I'm having lunch with her. So I'm going to have lunch with a food and alchemist. And she's going to do alchemy right in front she of you at, at the table. She is. And it's about community. And so it's about right. sharing and, and changing her community, which is in Georgia. And so I'm looking forward to hearing her lecture at 1.30 today. And what I want to... Uh, emphasize is that if you're not in Chicago, what you do is type in the your, the name of your city and seed swap, and you'll get wherever in the country you are, you can meet up with fellow gardeners, and usually the same rules apply, and people are happy to give you their seeds because they they always oh this is you'll love this vegetable you're you're good or or this zinnia you really need to have this in your yard. There's so much. Gardener's knowledge that is shared at a seed swap. So we're talking about successes and mm-hmm. failures and and ideas. And so uh, that building of community. It's a very warm afternoon. Gardeners love to share. And so it's a time for us all to be. <laughs> it's a warm afternoon until we get to life threatening cold later in the it's week. It's a cold afternoon, but it's a warm thing to do. It's a it builds community and it builds our gardening spirit. And it certainly um, can help with um, sort of this mainstream conservation of biodiversity. We're losing some of these very important vegetable varieties and home gardeners can really make a difference in growing them out at home and saving seed. And it always preserving comes these. that back to that, doesn't it? Yeah. It doesn't matter whether it's the monarch butterfly, and I'm seeing more and more reports about the monarch. And because of the Western monarch that is disappearing, people are sounding the alarm. We don't really know what the the Eastern monarchs uh, are, are doing right now in Mexico and how many. We suspect there are pretty good numbers there. But the Western monarch is disappearing completely. Um, but the same thing with our native plants and, as you say, varieties that we used to grow in this country and around the world that are disappearing. That's why we have seed banks. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned Seed Savers Exchange and and, yes. and Seeds of Change. And I've got a number of those uh, places listed at MikeNovak.net. And you can write to them. You can call them. You can get their catalogs and get some of the best seed. In fact, it's uh, there's about a dozen, I would say, really great catalogs in the country. And it depends what your – some people have their favorites. Um, a lot of folks like Johnny's Selected Seeds. Uh, you you use that, don't we you? We use Johnny's Selected Seeds, and it's um, uh, it's a place where you can find not only um, great products and certainly organic seed, which is part of our work, um, but you can also find tools and growers' information and calendars. And they've worked closely with um, sort of the father of organic gardening, Elliot Coleman, who's mm-hmm. just um, sort of – he has a new edition of his book for his 30th anniversary of the new organic grower. And he's really the father of modern-day organic gardening. And winter And gardening. he's in Maine and four-season gardening, right, yeah. Peggy? Yeah. And so his um, his book is newly out again, but many of the tools that he has used on his uh, five-acre farm um, – are found in the Johnny's catalog. So the broad fork and the harvest tools that he's used, some of the hoop housing um, ideas and and equipment and techniques are found in the Johnny's catalog. So it's a great resource. Um, But there are many others uh, as well. And Territorial Seed Company would be another seed savers exchange for potatoes and um, um, garlic and seed certified Potatoes and garlic are great from Seed Savers Exchange. Baker and then, Creek Heirloom Seeds, the Cook's Garden from Burpee, high mowing organic seeds, 
pine tree garden seeds and accessories. These are actually, this is actually a list that you gave me two years ago. Yes. And then we mentioned Seed Savers Exchange, but my my buddy, uh, Mr. Brown Thumb, also gave me, uh, well, he did a, uh, uh, he, he specializes in this, and he likes also uh, Kusa Seed Society, Organic mm-hmm. Seed Alliance, um, Terra Edibles and Salt Spring Seeds, uh, the Cottage Gardener Seeds of Victoria, and Solana Seeds, which uh, these are not as familiar as a lot of them. That's true. Um, and, I mean, I'm just saying here's another guy's uh, list of, peop- of, of, of uh, seed companies that he likes. And uh, I also have a Mother Earth News article. I've linked to that. Uh, and they have the best vegetable seed companies, and they list the top 15 sustainable seed companies mm. and um i i can't get to it right now but uh but you can go and and read that so this is there's a wealth of information out there you know what's cool is you can come over to the fruit and vegetable garden mm-hmm. and see some of these varieties growing yeah. in the ground and you can see how they'll fit into your um into your garden or into your design or into your um edible mm-hmm. landscape that you know is Um, the movement is broadening into sort of public space gardening. So come over and look at the varieties. We have lots of different – last year I grew 18 different varieties of beans. That's pretty cool to look at those sort of all stacked up together. Let's get back to a question that I started er, way back at the beginning of the show when you were talking about the prism kale. Yeah. So you order the prism kale. How many individual prism kale plants will you put in the ground? Well – I would say in the in the vegetable, fruit and vegetable garden, there are hundreds of of kale plants that will go into the ground but the of that specific variety. Really, of that um, specific variety. I think there will be. You know, it just depends on I where it, it is in yeah. the design. Some yeah. of the beds are very large, and and you know the terrace beds when you come over the bridge and um, approach the fruit and vegetable garden have large, large plantings of. Um, a thousand plants or more. Um, some of the smaller areas are where we're we're looking at plants and how they perform, and then we can um, hopefully expand them into a bigger design. Yeah. So each year is a little different, which is exciting. And yeah. we're planting three seasons, so we're planting cool season crops as soon as you're you should be planting those in your home garden. So we're extending through the season 170 ish days of Chicago uh, growing weather, and we're extending that season through. April through November. So you'll see plants that you should be growing in your garden, in the fruit and vegetable garden. And and when you think of 170 days, that's less than half the year, which is amazing that you have to cram all that in in 170 days. That's true. And that's why seed starting inside, if you can perfect that for yourself, you can really grow some unusual varieties and you can grow some things that are very long season that are difficult to grow um, outside. We can get a jump start on things. And yeah. we'll show you how to do that today at the Seed Swap. Ah. Yeah, and just with a few a few tools. You, it's not like it's a big expensive thing to do it at home. Absolutely. You know, the light's great, uh, a heat mat. A heat mat works very well for some of the summer vegetables, uh, peppers and solanaceous crops, for sure. Or um, for germination and early growth. Mm-hmm. That's what that's you're That's true. If you heat the bottom, if you set your plastic flat or your um, food container on top of a heat mat, that will um, uh, sort of um, heat to 75 degrees or, yeah. or more. What uh, is a just... heat map for those who don't know? And you've and I, th- we got a minute. Okay. Yeah. What's a heat map? It's a heat mat is just um, something that you'd um, find in one of these catalogs, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a mat that you plug into an electric outlet, and it heats sort of a rubber yeah, it's, mat. It's, it's like a little heating pad, except it's much bigger. Exactly. 
And you can buy them in different sizes and you can line up your containers on top mm-hmm. of that. And that bottom heat, um, it's all about temperature and moisture. And But you need to know which plants want that and which plants don't. And it's not one size fits all for all your seeds. And even in terms of germination, some seeds want light to germinate. Some yeah. pe- mm-hmm. some seeds like darkness. Some pe- seeds want to be covered. Some seeds want to be on top of the soil. So it's really important to get a sense of what the seed desires. Absolutely. And how do you do that very quickly? Like well, there's seconds. a class going on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Go to the uh, Joseph Regenstein School and look at the Botanic Garden offerings. All right. Give us a call if you got a question about seeds. 877-711-5611. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. love our pets, but do you ever stop to think that farmed animals deserve love and care too? The Mike Novak Show is teaming with Crate Free Illinois to present a screening of the award-winning film Eating Animals on February 12th at Dovetail Brewery in Chicago. A panel of farmers and activists moderated by Bill Turk of Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall will explain how you can make simple, humane choices in your everyday life. For tickets and information, go to the Crate Free Illinois Facebook page. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Bringing a lot of social science into climate change is really important. People who teach climate change now, you have to really get into how it's affecting people, how it's affecting the ability for people to cope, how it's affecting the ability of people to adapt or to mitigate. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate and how it might be affecting you, your lives, and your garden. On WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. This is Mike Novak. The song says it's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you're homeless. And I'm Bill Turk. It's hard to know what to do, but you can design a care kit for people in need, something that will do some good in the short run. And I'm Peggy Malecki. The number one item people need is good socks, high quality wool or thermal. Hats, gloves and scarves are also important, along with hygiene products like deodorant, body wash, toothbrushes and toothpaste, band-aids, lip balm, wet wipes, even nail clippers. Food products can include high-protein snacks, easy-to-open tuna, crackers and peanut butter, applesauce, granola bar, or fruit rolls. And I put everything in a one-gallon Ziploc bag. And if you can, make a connection, offer a smile, or even your first name. And don't forget to include some feminine products, too. You're not changing the world. Just making one person's world a little better for a little while. This is your talk. We're going to be here for a long time. Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We don't have a long, cool woman in a black dress in the studio, but she does have black jeans, so you're very... (laughs) (laughs) And a black Norwegian sweater. She has a cool Norwegian sweater. (laughs) And and a very cool Norwegian sweater. And uh, and that comes from your your background, which, which is... Kind of farmish. I mean, you, you, it is. It's in the family. You have a, a century farm in the family, right? I do. In Iowa, uh, I have a farm. My great grandparents um, 
homesteaded in 1881. So hmm. we've had it for all of those years. My father's running it. Um, and yeah, I didn't grow up there, but I grew up growing <laughs> a lot of plants there and bring, you know, growing a big patch of pumpkins and then bringing those home to Minneapolis to share with our neighbors. That is my goal. And by the way, that's Lisa Hilgenberg, a horticulturist from the Chicago Botanic Garden. And, uh, um, she will be growing a lot of vegetables this year and fruits. We didn't, and we haven't talked fruits at all. Uh, how big a deal are fruits in what you do? Well, it's it's kind of half of what we do. Um, fruits are a big deal because if they're grown close to home, um, they're, the quality is really high and you know exactly what's been put on them. So you can control sort of um, the organic nature of things, if you will. Mm-hmm. And we know there are no chemicals that are or pesticides that are used on those plants. Um, it's a great way to um, increase sort of eating from your garden every day if you can grow a few fruits as well. We have stone fruits and um which is interesting for chicago growers to really get their heads around that we can grow a lot of these plants very successfully in this climate so stone fruits apples pears we have um all kinds of um raspberry displays but the, and see now the, the things you're talking about except for strawberries well even strawberries because they're perennials yeah um these are either perennials or they're trees and shrubs, which is different because most of the vegetables you're going to be planting are coming from seed this year. So in terms of the fruit production, that's maintaining what's already there. So that's and that's a different strategy. That's because pruning, boy, pruning fruit trees is an art, a science, and a nightmare for a lot of people. Well, it's, you know, again, there are ways to just sort of think about that. Right now, we're thinking in the winter that we're doing shape-changing pruning. We're not nipping at every little branch, but we're thinking about shape-changing winter pruning. Um, you're right. It's it's straightforward. You can learn it, and it's um, wonderful to, to know how to do that, to prune product so you have productive trees. Uh, it's something you can see at the Botanic Garden. Um, there are lots of uh, fruits that can be grown in containers. Um, so all of the blueberries and um, raspberries that are small in in stature can be grown just in big terracottas on your on your deck if you want to add fruits to your landscape. So uh, encur- I encourage uh, everybody should have a fruit tree. I think in the '40s, almost every property in Chicago had a fruit tree of some kind on. And and it's hard to get them approved in certain municipalities like Chicago because the city freaks out if fruit is going to drop on the ground. Then they say, oh, you're attracting rats. Um, And that may or may not be true. Uh, But even the average homeowner doesn't want them because they think it's a mess because they're, you know, a lot of people are neatness freaks and they can't, they can't stand the idea of having something drop on the ground. Even, even a catalpa tree with the seed pods or something like that. They, they freak out over that, which is, I don't know. I find it. I'm here to change their minds. (laughs) (laughs) Good. And the squirrels eat all the pears in my yard anyway, so I never get any of them. And I love the idea you're talking about growing containers. Because you're right. This is a great way to grow a shrub. Mm-hmm. I talked about it the other day how shrubs have a tendency to be able to survive in a container for years. Um, and you're talking about fruit shrubs that could survive. Absolutely. And you can tweak the pH just a, t- a titch so that you can grow uh, a plant that loves acidity like blueberry if you plant it in um, sort of a pine bark mulch and compost in a container. That would be a great situation to kind of tweak the pH, um, lower it, and then produce um, quality, high-quality blueberries. So, yes, there are many ways to grow fruits. We grow goji berries, and we grow small um, uh 
peaches in containers, and I've got a collection of uh, 10 or 15 fig trees that we grow in containers. So that's it's wow. encouraging. So you had something during the break that you wanted to get to before we leave Well, here. we were talking about catalogs and all the amazing territorial, Johnny's Seed, all of those. So for someone who's getting started, how do you select? Yeah. How do you limit? What's what's a good rule of thumb of what to order from you know, the catalogs? I like to suggest that people sit down with their families or think about it themselves. What would I like to eat? How do I, you know, what are the three or four vegetables that would be great to have in the kitchen? Maybe that's radish, which are so delicious, pulled right from the ground and eaten right away. Um, maybe that's tomatoes, an heirloom tomato plant. Choose three or four or five vegetables and start there and perfect those. Work on, on uh, planting and, and learning how to grow those successfully. Um, and then you'll have success. And then you'll come back next year and you'll receive your catalogs again and it will be hopeful and, mm-hmm. and uh, you'll dream about what you're going to grow the next year and you'll add two or three things to that list. And the other piece of that is, is you know, if you can buy basil at your local farmer's market for, you know, just a couple of dollars for a huge bunch, you don't need to necessarily grow basil unless you're a proficient grower and knows that it you know, mm-hmm. needs a whole lot of heat and you need to plant it in mid-June and um, harvest it. Are you doing it. that, uh, what's the basil? Uh, uh, pesto. Pesto, yeah. Or you're making, pesto. Yeah, you're making pesto. Right. So set yourself up for success with some of the easy-to-grow mm-hmm. um, vegetables like um, radish, peas, beans, tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, start there. And go for varieties that even the catalogs are saying, these are going to do well. These are going to do well. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I like... Having people start with beans, um, it, you mentioned beans, but the thing about beans that I don't think a lot of people, if, if you've if you've spent your whole life eating beans out of a can or your mom, like my mom, cooked everything to mush, <laughs> all right, I didn't even know you could eat raw broccoli until I was an adult. And that's just, that's just. <laughs> and that asparagus wasn't like pasta. I didn't, I had never even, I had no idea what asparagus yeah. was until I was an adult. Um, and I love asparagus. It's, it's probably the one vegetable I eat every week. Um, so it, that's why I love beans because they're easy. You throw the bean on it. is Jack and the Beanstalk. You throw the bean in the ground, basically. It usually germinates. It grows. And then when it starts to produce beans, pick them and eat them right away. And you will, you will have, you will be wonderful. You cannot believe how good they are. That's Absolutely true. Yeah. They're large seeded, so younger family members can help you plant those. You mm-hmm. could use a little inoculant, which is something that um, sort of jump starts the germination, and um, uh, you can dust them with inoculant, which is found in many of these catalogs, and then plant them just not too deeply, um, an inch or so deep, and then, um, you know, they pop up very quickly. So that's also sort of instant gratification. And then, you, of course, you need to thin a little bit, potentially, if you've overseeded, but... Um, and then read carefully when you're selecting a bean. Are you gr- are you um, will you grow a bush bean or will you grow a pole bean? And so read between the lines in the catalog and look for indicators on um, season and timing. You wanted to get across about the orchid people. They're scarier than the uh, bonsai people, but not as scary as the carnivorous oh. plant people. Oh, the orchid <laughs> show at the Chicago Botanic Garden this year is you should see the colors inside. It's warm. It's going to be fragrant. It's absolutely lovely. There are events around on Thursday evenings. It begins 
February 9th and goes till March 24th. Um, Into the Tropics is the name of the Orchid Show. So I hope to see everybody there, and um, I encourage you to come on over for some of the special uh, evenings with orchids and music in the morning on Tuesday and Thursdays with wow. orchids and photography um, possibilities. And it's it's going to be beautiful. And what a way to spend a winter um, day. Yeah. Um, going through the tropical greenhouses. Way to warm up. Yeah, t- talking to the orchid people, and, and we're we're going to try to have some orchid people uh, on the show uh, and uh, see what they got. I I'm going to be really honest. I have not had great success with orchids. I actually dropped a table on one once. So there you go. But the, <laughs> Oops. Yeah. We can help you with that too. <laughs> yeah, get a sturdier table. Is that it? We All can't right. help with the table. Lisa Hilgenberg from the Chicago Botanic Garden. Thank you so much. If you want more information, go to Mike Novak. Or chicagobotanic.org. We'll be back after No Name News. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Asparagus officinalis, or killer asparagus, was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Sound red alert. Shields up. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Edgar Allan Poe? Author of my favorite children's stories. Captain, I am attempting to access a copy of the masterpiece. Hmm, it seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. 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 Yes, Mr. Watt. Yes, Captain. AroundTheBlockPress.com. How many times can I say it? Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com and buy Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood direct to your door. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. Oh, yeah. And you can have it in your own backyard if you grow your own seeds, and that's why Lisa Hilgenberg was on the show. Uh, If you didn't catch the first hour, you need to go to Facebook right after this show uh, ends at uh, 11 a.m. Central Time and uh, listen and watch the video that we stream live every week on Facebook, uh, although we, we do need to do the YouTube thing uh we'll get to. we'll get there we're getting we're getting we're slowly we're getting we're getting there gosh i've been you know working the the seo for some of you people out there will have no idea what seo stands for it's search engine optimization yes all right your your all your eyes are already rolling in the back of your head and mine ah. are i know and you cannot imagine <laughs> what it's like putting up a broadcast at at midnight on saturday evening and you realize you have to you still haven't done your seo on your blog so you got to go back and do the seo um, it's a brave new world and it, and in some ways it really stinks okay it's really ridiculous uh, oh dear but uh, welcome back to to the show, we got a, a tweet here. I see from Mud Baron. 
And Bob Darren, we're glad you're listening to the show. I think he's out in California, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he he's scratching his head because I thought we explained it. He says, uh, talking heat mats, what? Uh, a heat mat? Yeah, it's what you, you put your seed uh, starter little container on mm-hmm. inside you know sometimes you can get the fancy ones or you can get the not so fancy ones the not so fancy ones as we were saying are clamshells that you get your food in and then you put soil in it and you put your seeds in it and then you germinate them and the great thing about that is you can put the lid back on top and it keeps the moisture mm-hmm. in for the little seeds. greenhouse the little greenhouse uh and there are you need light from above but sometimes you need heat from below, and not all seeds need heat from below, but some do, like peppers and tomatoes. They appreciate that. It's not absolutely essential. I've grown peppers and tomatoes for years without a heat mat, so it can be done. It's fine. Uh, but it, it tends to help, and it could be a much better germination rate on the seeds. So that's what a heat mat is. Uh, it's, it's not something for yoga, to warm your buns <laughs> while you're doing yoga. No, that's a different, different kind of heat mat. Uh, so, uh, I just wanted to, to clarify that, but we appreciate people tweeting to us and writing to us on Facebook, um, and calling in, of course, uh, at, uh, 877-711-5611. Uh, we should probably give a plug to, a, a plug, a plug, <laughs> let's give a plug to whatever that is. I'm going to coin a <laughs> phrase, coin a word, a plug. We're going to give a plug to, uh, playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall. Uh, you go ahead since you wrote it out. This Sunday, Bill and Carrie are welcoming the great Nicholas Tremulus, the musician. Oh my goodness! Yeah. I have. Oh my He's goodness! going to be on the show at one o'clock. Um, they have some really, yeah. really amazing guests there. Uh, Gina Speckman from the North Shore Convention and Visitors Bureau is stopping by to talk about the upcoming month-long restaurant event. David Fair, the artistic director from Josephinum Academy of the Sacred Heart, and artist Jen Stanley. Plus, of course, it's your chance to blame Bill for a whole lot of things. Always. Always. It, always. When in doubt, blame, blame Bill. Bill. Okay? We're just letting you know. And, and we should remind folks that uh, on the 12th, and you're hearing the, those announcements here. We've got them uh, on the show. Uh, on the 12th of February, uh, there's a showing of Eating Animals. Bill Turk will be the MC. We're going to have the Humane Society there. There, uh, No, wait, the Humane League, rather, is there. Uh, but also the Humane Society of the United States, because uh, Mr. Akers uh, from uh, uh, from the Humane Society will be there, and Jessica Chipkin from Crate Free, Illinois, and a bunch of people talking about how uh, animals on farms deserve, even, even animals that are used mm-hmm. for food, deserve to be treated humanely. Um, and uh, there will be a showing of the film and then a, and a conversation. And Peggy and I will be there. I we're just the tech crew that day. We're just we're, we're just going to sit back and uh, let Mr. Turk do his thing, and uh, we will uh, we'll be fine. We'll, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll be. There. I've, been, I've been known to do tech before many, many times, uh, many times in my career. In fact, that's what I used to do exclusively. So you want to tell folks who's coming up next week on the show? No. Okay, okay let's. Uh, all right, who's coming up next week? So we're going to have Benjamin Vote and Claudia West. Right. We're going to talk about the upcoming West Cook Wild Ones Conference on February 16th. Mm-hmm. And Nick Lucas of Advocates for Urban Agriculture is stopping by to talk about their February 9th Urban Livestock Expo. Which sounds really cool because if you've ever wanted to raise livestock in an urban area in the city, they're going to have it all there. Um, and it's at the Southside Occupational. 
Academy. Academy, and we've uh, highlighted them on the show. We've they we've talked to them here, and they also have won SEGA uh, awards, the uh, Chicago Excellence in Gardening awards. Uh, love them. And uh, and as they said, it's basically going to turn the high school into a petting <laughs> zoo for a couple hours. Um, and and the idea is not to not to pet animals, but the idea is to learn how to raise chickens and and goats and other animals that you can have in an urban situation. So uh, we will have Nick Lucas from Advocates for Urban Agriculture on next week. And again, Benjamin Vogt and Claudia West talking about the West Cook Wild Ones Conference. Um, and it's about native plants. What else? We we do tend to talk natives uh, mm-hmm. occasionally on the show. All right, coming up next, uh, we've got Pam and Lan Richard uh, from the Eco Justice Collaborative. We're talking about coal ash waste in Chicago, um, Illinois rivers. This is Mike Novak. One of the best salads I ever had was courtesy of a friend who grew it in her living room using Happy Leaf LED grow lights. 50,000 plus hour minimum lifespan, five year warranty, USA made. What's not to like? Whether you're a beginner or a gardening whiz, these lights are the face of 21st century growing technology. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code Mike. Happy Leaf LED grow lights, moving the garden to your living room. Wild Things is back. I'm talking about the 2019 Wild Things Conference on February 23rd at the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center in Rosemont. There's nothing like it anywhere else in the country, as naturalists, citizen scientists, conservationists, birders, and more converge for more than 100 seminars, as well as comedy, workshops, and goodwill, and perhaps a libation afterwards. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki is a media sponsor again this year. Get your tickets at wildthingscommunity.org. This is Mike Novak. Serious and even not-so-serious gardeners in the Chicago area know that there's a year-round resource that always comes in handy, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region, and it's packed with information about plants indoors and out. Every issue contains insightful articles by gardening pros, fantastic photos, science, and more. With features like what to do in the garden, design tips, and Chicagoland natives, you're going to be ready to grab a trowel and dig. Even I have a column in the inside back page of every issue. It's practically fact-free, and I'm proud of it. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we are we are going over to the Skype machine uh, to bring in a couple of folks uh, who we had on the show last year. Uh, I didn't realize it was as far back as April, but it was in April of last year. We had Pam and Lan Richard, and that's spelled R I C H A R T. Uh, they are with the Eco Justice Collaborative. They used to uh, 
do uh, well. They're ply, used to apply your trade in Chicago, then you kind of moved downstate. But you're looking out after all of the citizens of Illinois and and people all, all across the country with the work you're doing. Welcome back to the show, both of you. Well, thank you, Mike. It's good to be here. Thank you. Uh, it's like looking at mom and dad on the Skype machine here. <laughs> Well, we are mom and dad. <laughs> you are. You are mom and dad. <laughs> uh, and uh, this is, uh, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's in some ways, it's a long story. In some ways, it's a really short story. You know, the long story is the whole history of, of how coal ash deposits got left by the middle fork of the Vermilion River in central Illinois and who owned the company and who sold the company to whom and then got resold again and, and, and the way they want to do it. The short story is there's coal ash sitting by the middle fork of the Vermilion River and we got to get rid of it before it leaks into the river. Isn't that sort of the, the basic idea? Well, Go ahead. Yes. The the mom is going to speak first. Here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is the basic idea, but it is leaking. Uh, the coal ash, the coal ash has been sitting there for some time, but, but we know it's leaking harmful contaminants like arsenic and barium and boron. And I could go on and on and on with the yeah. list, the toxic yeah. superchemicals. So we know it's already, it's already leaking. The concern that, that, that we keep raising is that the river, which is a natural meandering river, continues its path westward uh, toward the pits, severely eroding the riverbanks, threatening to cause a, a, a breach. So here we are today, uh, looking at proposals by uh, Dynagy, a name that folks in Chicago are, are quite familiar with, uh, who wants to shore up those banks with a massive riverbank project that's going to harm the river, and they're going to do this so that they can forever leave the ash in place. Yeah, that's that, that doesn't sound good. And um, uh, it goes back 55 years to the construction of the Vermilion Power Generating Station. Now, again, this is the legacy of coal. When people talk about the legacy of coal in uh, the United States, often they're talking about what's pumped into the atmosphere. Uh, They're talking about strip mining and and removal of mountaintops. Mm -hmm. And then the thing that gets left out is the residue of the coal uh, energy production, and that is coal ash, which c- contains all of the chemicals that you you mentioned uh, a second ago. Uh, in 1956, this plant was built. It was purchased by the company Dynagy in 2000. They operated the plant until 2011. They shut it down. It was decommissioned then. And then last year in April, same month, you guys were on Vistra Energy, merged with Dynagy, and now they basically call it Vistra, although if you say Dynagy, we're talking about the same company, basically, right? Exactly. We, we continue to use, uh, although we know that Vistra uh, Energy owns Dynagy, or they are now together, uh, we continue to use Dynagy because actually it's Dynagy uh, Corporation that is uh, filing the applications for permits and continuing to pursue uh, permission to leave their coal ashes. 3.3 million cubic yards, by the way, in three separate coal ash pits, all of them within just feet of the river, and they are leaking into the groundwater and then leaking into the river. So 
Yeah, and 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 you mentioned that that uh, the uh, there's three point three million cubic yards of this stuff there by the river. It's in the floodplain, so you've got you know uh, you know how a river carves out a plain, mm-hmm. and uh, they built the plant there, and they put the coal ash pits in that floodplain, uh, and it's at a and as you mentioned, uh, Pam. The river is is not a static thing. It doesn't it doesn't stay in the same place. Most rivers do not stay in the same place, uh, especially a wild scenic river. And it was designated uh, as well. It is Illinois' only oh. um, uh, what is it uh, national national scenic river. Yeah, so the National Park Service is involved too. Correct. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in 2018 was the 50th anniversary of the fifth of the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, and last year it was it was also named America one of America's most endangered rivers. So there we go. We get the the worst of all possible worlds here. So why is it that the coal plant put these ash pits in such a vulnerable spot? Was it just because it was sta- a standard procedure in those days? Well, coal power plants uh, are almost uh, universally located next to a body of water for cooling water source. And so the Vermilion Station uh, was built along the Vermilion, the middle fork of the Vermilion River. And it, uh, coal ash has been very loosely or unregulated. And so the least expensive way to dispose of the material was to push it over the side into the, the floodplain, create uh, a berm or embankment to uh, essentially construct ponds, and they are totally unlined, and uh, you know, they are still sitting there. And, and Dynagy is seeking permission from the EPA to leave them in place, cover them, leave them in place for perpetuity. And, and to your point about the river moving, uh, in, in 1981, Illinois Power knew they had a problem. In fact, they they knew they had a problem so severe because the river kept moving into the riverbanks and eroding the riverbanks, bringing bringing the uh, the channel closer and closer to the coal ash pits. They even thought about moving this meandering river. Hmm. Instead, they put up this elaborate system of wire cages filled with rocks called gabions. We've all seen them with highway projects and armored the banks uh, uh, with that material. And within just 20 years, that began to disintegrate. And today, uh, it's gone in uh, completely in much of much of the area uh, along those ash pits. So, so while we are here to say yes, that ash has to be removed. No, we don't like the stabilization riverbank project that's been submitted to the Corps. We also recognize there's an urgent need to interim to stabilize those banks in a targeted way on an interim basis while all this is sorting out. Because the, the, the fact is, with all the agency reviews and approvals and the plans that have to be submitted, this is going to go on a whole lot longer than I anticipated when we were on your show last year. Wow. So even since then, things have changed. Oh, uh, totally. Right. And the EPA rules have changed a bit too, haven't they? Well, that's a moving target. There are federal rules that are in place, have been challenged uh, in the courts. 
are being re-examined now, uh, but they don't apply right now to the Vermilion Station because the okay. Vermilion Station was closed prior to those. Okay. And in Illinois, uh, several years ago, there was a concerted effort to uh, develop coal ash rules, and uh, that was really put on hold about four years ago. But, but to your point, Peggy, uh, you're, you're right. The federal uh, rule has been rolled back by the Trump administration. Uh, environmental groups across the country are suing, uh, have, have, you know, taken, well, they're suing. And, yeah. and, 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 the, and then an interesting thing happened that could affect this site. Uh, the uh, uh, U.S. District Court in uh, Washington, D.C. ruled this past summer that uh, the Obama-era coal ash regulations don't do enough to protect uh, residents uh, from leaking coal ash pits like at Vermillion. Hmm. And one of the things they specifically call, call out is that uh, the federal rule, as Land said, exempted uh, closed facilities like Vermillion on the Middle Fork. And there was an order to the EPA that says, hey, federal EPA, the rules aren't strong enough. You have to go back and rewrite them and make sure that that we're talking about all leaking coal ash pits, not just those that were captured in 1915. And this, and this is, of course, yeah, this is of course in an era of Trump and rolling back regulations left and right. So I imagine there's a healthy tension there, and it's hard. I can't even imagine how you predict what the EPA is likely to do from one day to the next, let alone enact a sensible, rational policy at this point. No, that's true. But, but we, we, we keep hoping that as all things come together, and this project, uh, this, this campaign is really multiple, fa multiple, multiple faceted, uh, that, that each piece comes together to, to drive another nail, you know, uh, and, and ask in, in forcing Dynegy to look at that alternative of moving the coal ash. And because of involvement of, of groups like ours and Earth Justice and Prairie Rivers Network, uh, the plans proposed by Dynegy have changed because they recognize they can't do what they thought they would they wanted to do because it won't work. Right. And the cost keeps going up. And so I can't help but wonder as we continue to move forward, at what point they're going to say, you know, the cost-benefit analysis shows it's better to move the ash. Well, and, and, and their plan now, I love, I love the phrase you guys use, which is cap and leave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like cut and run, basically. It's, uh, yeah, well, we're going to throw some, some dirt on this, and yeah, then... It'll just go away. And we're, we're getting the heck out of Dodge, because it's going to collapse at some point. Because, as you mentioned, it's below... Uh, surface level, there's already seepage going on. All it takes is for one major catastrophic event to, to unload one of those pits or maybe all of them into the Vermilion River. And then we're dealing with the kind of cleanups that we've had in other states over the last few years yeah. with coal ash. And we know those have been catastrophic. Why would we do this to the only scenic national scenic river in Illinois? It doesn't really make any sense at all. In fact, I, I, I can't even imagine what it's like to be Dynagy defending what they're doing at this point when you know and I know that the only way to deal with this is really to get the coal ash out of those pits whatever it costs, and it's the only way that they're going to escape uh, this catastrophe, which is going to happen at some point. It's going to leak. 
Some some major storm's going to come through. Well, major storm. What about an earthquake? Yeah. What about a you know a a two point three or a four point oh earthquake that shifts enough things in the area? To, to cause that to happen. We don't know. But uh, last week we had Deborah Shore on the program from Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. And their whole job right now is to try to figure out how to deal with climate change and the rainstorms that are coming. And you know that in the Midwest, one of the hallmarks of climate change are these incredible rainstorms that dump inches of rain uh, that we're not used to and that a river like that might or might not be able to handle. Oh, that's exactly right. We, uh, the Middle Fork is a very flashy river. Is you say when the, if you have a very strong storm event, a heavy storm event, the water begins to flow and, and just rages, and the erosion can uh, be very significant. Uh, our contention has been, uh, as you said, the only permanent solution here is to move the ash. Uh, otherwise, you're just passing a problem down to the next generation or, or two. Somewhere, at some point, uh, the bank stabilization will fail uh, or uh, there will be a, additional problems. Leaving that much toxic material in one place for uh, someone else to deal with is really unconscionable. But we, but we do have to talk about what Dynagy is proposing to do to counter that argument that we both just raised. And we want to talk about that with you because uh, there are several key players that will uh, uh, that are involved in the decision-making process. And we have an ask of your listeners to help us uh, reach out to the National Park Service who, if they chose to, could shut the riverbank stabilization project down, forcing Dynagy to to move its ash. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, I mean, it's, this is a complicated a complicated project, but yeah. I but I do think I do think it's worth it's worth understanding the the um, extent to which this corporation is going to be able to leave its ash in place. So, uh, so can we? Go into that. For, well, uh, well uh, it's, I'm glad you said that. We need to break right here uh, for a couple of minutes, and then we, when we okay. come back, we'll we'll do that. But I already have the tagline for your uh, initiative, and it's Dynagy, move your ash. Yeah, signs getting made that say that. So <laughs> I'll send it. one to you. <laughs> Okay, uh, that's uh, Pam and Land Richard from uh, Eco Justice Collaborative. Go to ecojusticecollaborative.org. We will be right back with them. However, you got a minute for your trees. Bartlett Tree Experts has some advice, and that is buckle up, folks. If you're in the Midwest, you're about to get hit by snow and brutal temperatures. Oh, dear. Rick DeMaio will tell us more about that in a little bit. Your trees will handle both the best they can. Uh, You don't have to remove light snow from trees and shrubs. It's the heavy snow that can be damaging. So if a heavy snowfall comes through, gently, and I emphasize the word gently, brush the snow off by hand or with a broom with, important, upward strokes, hanging onto the branch. Hang onto the branch, upward strokes. You don't want to shake the branches. Don't do that because that can do more harm than good. The same treatment applies to shrubs. Sweep gently upwards. Am I saying the word gently enough? Okay. Very carefully. Very carefully. If the snow is frozen onto the branches, let Mother Nature take over and melt the ice naturally. If you've had severe damage... 
Give Bartlett Tree Experts a call. Their certified arborists will know how to do triage on your tree. But I'm bump. Okay, I had to get that out there. Whether the weather is rain, snow, or ice, or wind, every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. We'll be back. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Have you considered how your body may impact the environment and those left behind after you die? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. According to the Green Burial Council, conventional burials result in the annual use of 77,000 trees and nearly 5 million gallons of embalming fluid containing cancer-causing chemicals. And one cremation uses as much energy as a 500-mile car trip and releases 250 pounds of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. There are many alternatives available now in the U.S. You can become a tree or even be part of rebuilding a coral reef. A green burial could be your last act of love for the earth. Do your homework for your family and talk about it now. I'm Green Diva Meg. Listen to over 500 Green Divas podcasts and learn lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. From boat to doorstep. You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. We all love our pets, but do you ever stop to think that farmed animals are deserving of love and care, too? The Mike Novak Show is teaming with Crate Free Illinois to present a screening of the award-winning film Eating Animals on February 12th at Dovetail Brewery in Chicago. A panel of farmers and activists, moderated by Bill Turk of Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall, will explain how you can make simple, humane choices in your everyday life. For tickets and information, go to the Crate Free Illinois Facebook page. And you don't realize that Marvin Gaye was writing about coal ash he, all those years ago. I was looking for this song the other week, couldn't find it. Well, okay, now I'm putting it in, the, put it in the rotation here so that I can play it. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We have Pam and Lan Richard uh, on the Skype machine this morning, and we're talking about coal ash deposits uh, at an abandoned, not an abandoned, at a, at a, a decommissioned power plant in central Illinois and why that poses a threat to the water there. Um, let's get to your initiative that you want people to help with, Pam. And then I also want to get to the study that that you guys released uh, with a bunch of other groups in uh, November of uh, last year. I actually have a photo of, uh, of Lan in the governor's office trying to making a speech because he couldn't get to uh bruce rounder so he just said okay you reporters come on over here i'll tell you what's going on that was pretty uh, interesting uh but tell us about the initiative you want folks to get involved with well let me let me lay a little groundwork so in, in the context um the coal ash uh, issue is is moving along in two tracks one is of course the approval 
that's being requested from the EPA to leave it in place. And the other is the bank stabilization necessary to uh, protect the river from the, the coal ash. Um, and right now there is a section 404 permit application before the uh, Louisville core district to do a monstrous uh, stream bank stabilization over 2000 linear feet along the river uh, extending into the river uh, below the ordinary high water line, 30 to 35 feet, uh, excavating the bottom of the river down seven feet uh, is just enormous and lays the groundwork for Dynagy to leave their ash in place. The cap and leave. Mm -hmm. The cap and leave. And we are, I want to make it clear, we support targeted and interim bank stabilization because we do need to to protect the river. Uh, But this project is enormous And so one of the agencies that has to sign off on this is the National Park Service. Because it's a national scenic river, uh, they cannot authorize any um, action that would have direct and adverse effects on the values for which the river was designated a national scenic river. And those values, uh, some of the things they they have to um, prevent is uh, additional encroachment in the river or uh, inhibiting its free-flowing nature, uh, having an adverse impact on water quality, on recreation, on aesthetics, et cetera. And all of these things are violated by this project. So um, I'll let Pam tell you a little bit about the, or listeners a little bit about our action, but we're we're right now uh, calling on folks to contact the National Park Service. We are. And if one would go to our website, uh, the very first thing you'll see is right the National Park Service right on the home page. And if you click that button, you'll be able to access uh, talking points uh, that would help folks uh, with uh, writing a letter, which we, again, we have access to a form letter that you can get to by filling in your name and address. But, but the thing that we're hoping people would do is to take a moment and read those talking points and points and pick one thing that you care about. Uh, what we find is agencies are most likely to listen to uh, constituents if they feel it's not a form letter, if they, if they believe that, that people have a vested interest in something specific. And we provide all the tools necessary. You can either go there and click the letter and it moves on uh, to the National Park Service, or you can read the talking points and say, oh, my gosh, it is going to artificially uh, constrain the free-flowing, uh, this free-flowing river. And by putting that bank stabilization project in place, that really violates the intent of the and the law of the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act. Mm-hmm. And I really care about that because not only does it do that, and change the the aesthetics and the function of this free-flowing river, but it's not going to last anyway. So, because we all know that river is moving west, and in fact, there are aerial photographs that show the river at one time was underneath the coal ash pits where they exist now. Right. So we know that river migrates. So so that that's an easy thing to do, and we tried to do what we can to provide the tools. The reason it's important is that the National Park Service is the agency uh, that, again, along with the Army Corps of Engineers, is either going to move this project forward or not. And we believe uh, quite strongly that the National Park Service cannot approve this project without violating the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act. 
and we've set the groundwork for that. So that would really help if people could get on our website and send those letters. Okay, here, uh, Ellie, here's what I want you to do. Go to the uh, Eco Justice Collaborative homepage, and you'll find that link right there. Mm-hmm. It's a big black box on there with a red Act Now button. And uh, for those folks listening at home and they just want to go to ecojusticecollaborative.org, they can do that. However, we're going to link it to Facebook. We're going to link it to Twitter. We're going to link it to Instagram right now. So that- if you're watching the Facebook feed, it's up there. Uh, so you got it up on yep. Facebook already? Great. So we just need uh, Twitter and Instagram and, and, and put that up there. And you get to uh, weigh in with the National Park Service about this. We don't have too much time, but I want to get to what you guys did in November. Um, th- you worked with uh, Prairie Rivers, the Environmental Integrity Project, Earth Justice Sierra Club, and they released a paper called Cap and Run. Toxic coal ash left behind by big polluters threatens Illinois waters. And we're not talking just about this one coal plant, but we're talking about 80 individual ash pines and landfills across the state. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the findings of that. I don't know, uh, uh, Pam or or Lan, who... Lan, uh, you were the guy who spoke. Well, that was an... Another action that took place the same day, we were delivering the transcript from our people's hearing we conducted in the in the summer and also over 2000 letters from people throughout the state uh, calling on the governor and the EPA director to take action. So uh, that was the same day that this the report uh, was issued. So this 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 report is groundbreaking about groundwater pollution mm-hmm. in Illinois, and it shows that ninety percent of the coal ash the coal power plant sites uh, uh, have uh, online leaking facilities. It's really monumental, and they the report summarizes uh, data collected per the requirements of the 2015 Obama-era coal ash rule Mm -hmm. that that really show how our coal plant sites and the uh, adjacent coal ash pits really are exceeding the uh, state and federal health standards uh, for water quality as uh, pollution as it relates to the contaminants that are coming in. For example, in Waukegan, if I recall correctly, Arsenic was found to exceed the, the, the uh, uh, I think it was, I don't remember if it was federal or state level, by 2,000 times. Wow. So, I mean, we're not talking just a little bit of mm-hmm. coal ash here and there. We're talking about thallium, which is rat poison. We're talking about cobalt. We're talking about uh, arsenic and lead and on and on and on. And those, the coal ash pollutants... Uh, are are going into waterways where we are also extracting our drinking water. So this has a real real, uh, uh, health uh, harming potential for residents in the it's not even a potential. We're, we're, we're hurting ourselves by, by polluting our water. And, and it's not just in Illinois. It's across the country, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, this particular report deals solely with Illinois. Right, and it's right. First yeah. of its kind. But, uh, and, and, and I want to get this in, too, because I, I don't think people understand that you can do something with the coal ash, which is you can turn it into concrete. It can be used. Uh, uh, it can be recycled, essentially. And I don't understand why that's not the first option. Well, it depends on the location and character and the cost of and, and of doing that and the markets available. But uh, coal ash is being 
recycled. It's called beneficial use. It's also kind of a, a, a gray area where uh, there have been beneficial uses in the past. I use that in quotes uh, that are not so beneficial, used for uh, land for for fill, uh, landfill and and things like that. Where the, it does, it's not encapsulated. But if it's encapsulated, uh, I think it it can be uh, used uh, environmentally appropriately, and as you said, used as a uh, in, input to uh, the making of of concrete. And so uh, that's we're we're hoping that uh, that that's something that that catches on, and specifically at the Vermilion Station there. Right, yeah. it's something that can be done there. Sixty percent of the coal ash there has been uh, determined to be suitable for recycling. So uh, so we're pushing that as well as relocation, and that would that would reduce theoretically the the uh, the, the cost of moving it off site. Uh, last but certainly not least, there's a new administration in Springfield. How much help do you think you're going to get from uh, Governor Pritzker? I think quite a bit. Uh, There's been preliminary uh, discussions already with him during his campaign. He came out uh, and and said uh, he supported taking action on coal ash. There's been a preliminary meeting that we were not part of with uh, the new uh, EPA director. He's interested we have a meeting that, that is being set up uh, that we would be part of the middle of February, where we're going to be talking specifically about the coal ash problem here in Illinois and getting kind of a read as to where this administration would like to go. Uh, rules, legislation, combination of rules and legislation, uh, all of them have their pluses, all of them have their their, their, their uh, problems, uh, especially when you have an electorate to educate. But I do want to say we have a few champions in, in the state house that I want to lift up who are interested in moving this forward. Uh, one of them is our own senator here in uh, the Champaign-Urbana area, State Senator Scott Bennett, who has already come out in public and is working with us to, to tackle this problem. Uh, Mike Marin, who is a Republican, so Scott Bennett is a Democrat. All right, I'm going to give him a ding. I, you don't hear that uh, on the Republican side very often. She, oh my gosh, he's he's right there. So uh, he he's learned about coal ash because uh, the, the Vermilion uh, site is right in his district. He's brand new and uh, uh, was just elected, but he's really good and really eager to get involved. And John Connor, who is uh, uh, up in the what the Joliet, uh, uh, this Romeoville area yeah. uh, is also supportive and interested. Dave Kaler in Peoria, Senator David Kaler. So, so we're building this coalition uh, and and showing support for moving forward this year with some action. All on, right, on we're uh, we're out of time. Thank you, Lan and Pam, Richard. Go to Facebook, go to Twitter, go to Instagram, find a way to contact the National Forest Service. We will talk to you soon, I hope. Okay, thank Thank you you very much. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. 
Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, speaking of uh, rockin' pneumonia and bougie-woogie flu, uh, we, we got the uh, the setup for that coming in, into Chicago now. So let's go straight to the meteorologist. And, Rick, I have to tell you something. You win again. I'm going to give you a ding here because uh, Rick sent me these. What did I do? You sent me these maps the other day, and you said, right. you said look at the model uh, and it had 20s below, and we don't know yet. We we'll see what happens in the next yeah, few days. Yeah. But yeah. you said no, we're gonna we're gonna get to 20 below, and and uh, some friends of mine when I posted that said, oh well, Skilling's saying it's only in the teens, and uh, <laughs> and, right. and I and I wrote to you and you said. Look at the map. What can I tell you? Look at the model here. Uh, right. It'll 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 be it'll be cold. You know that's okay. I mean everybody's allowed to their own, you know, assessment of of forecast. And oftentimes, what happens with these type of events is you tap into the last time you made a forecast on something. If it didn't go well, you know, you become a little bit more conservative and you pull back somewhat. Mm-hmm. But I think what's interesting about this, Mike and Teg, is that you know this is going to be approaching. Um, Easily, we're going to blow the records out of the water for the overnight lows. That's not a question. The question is, you know, whether or not we set an all-time record low high temperature on Wednesday, uh, whether or not we get close to the all-time record low for Chicago, which Peg reminded us was just last Sunday on uh, January 20th. So whenever you get close to the extremes, you you tend to look at things a little bit more closely. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, this particular event is being examined and kind of being surgically pulled apart to make sure that um, a, a no seriously you know a you don't miss something that was potentially a record uh, and b at the same time you're not losing sight of the fact that you know the difference between minus fifteen and minus twenty is really academic it's still dangerous cold uh, people's pipes will freeze 
people who live in apartments that don't have very good heat will be extremely uncomfortable. You're gonna have you're gonna hear about you know people probably perishing due to the fact that they're using these really old you know space heaters, which you know makes houses go on fire. So in the end, while meteorologists you know kind of go back and forth with whether or not it's three or four degrees colder. I mean, this is life-threatening stuff, and the last time we were this cold was about 23 years ago. Before that, it was back in the mid-'80s. So if you can say, you know, this is a once-in-a-generation event, you can say this is a once-in-a-generation event. Uh, it is, but I happen to have uh, <laughs> lived through the previous one. Yep. And it's kind of interesting uh, that uh, you sent a, a list yesterday of all-time lows in Chicago, and a lot of them are in the 80s there weren't any in the seven, yeah. there weren't any in the 70s there weren't any in the 90s there weren't any in the aughts the 70s was more snow right. and the 80s was more yeah cold. and i think it was right. right yeah so what what was it about that time did the did the polar vortex get lodged loose at that time as well do you remember what the cause was you know i, I think first off one of the reasons why you get a lot of temperatures for chicago uh, in the early mid to mid 80s that were all-time record lows was that our uh, observation site became O'Hare Field in 1980. So we saw a lot of numbers that were about maybe two or three degrees colder than they were what they were at Midway and what they were downtown. That, I think that's one of the reasons. But also, when you look at things from a regional, from a continental, from a global standpoint, um, there were a lot of, a lot of years in the late 70s that Peg was referring to as far as snowfall is concerned, into the early to mid-80s, uh, that we just seem to have a lot of extreme temperature departures um, here in the Midwest. And even though we were incredibly cold and snowy uh, from Chicago points east in the late 70s, much of the western United States was actually really warm and dry, which is one of the reasons why I sent you that map of the globe, which actually shows, <laughs> talk about academics, right? Uh, the northern hemisphere and the globe to actually be still above the long-term average. And this is one of the reasons why I always like to share this data, because the only way you can get this cold is to have a lopsided pattern, yeah. which is where you have really warm air over the western, uh, you know, Pacific Northwest up into Alaska, and then we just get dumped on. The good thing is that this is only going to last two and a half days. We can, quite frankly, be back in the 20s and 30s around here, by Saturday and Sunday of next week. The bad thing, and I think people are beginning to see this more and more, we, we know about these things almost four or five days in advance, kind of like hurricanes, and there's a lot of anxiety that builds up. People get cranky. It's not like you hear, oh, I hear two days and I'm going to break a record. Now it's like five days out. So there becomes more and more pressure on meteorologists to be right and to make sure they're not losing sight of the fact that it's not just numbers that we're forecasting, we're forecasting conditions, and we're forecasting impacts on human beings, yeah, um, and also pets and outdoor. You know, obviously animals are living yeah. outdoors. Yeah, but you know, you're the one that's not getting sleep, not me. Okay. <laughs> well, at least they're not naming the cold outbreak. Yes. Oh, are they not? You know what? That, that's a good thing, Peggy. Well, oh, don't we name this one, right? No, don't, don't, don't give the Weather Channel any ideas. Oh, they'll start naming these cold lobes now too. Uh, we've got. I the... know. We'll, we'll call this polar, polar vortex cranky. How about that? Oh, cranky during yikes. Okay, so uh, the, the give us that the upshot of how this is going to play out because we get snow first and then we get cold. How does this work? You know, let, let's not lose sight of the fact that we had 
1.7 inches of snow officially out here, 2.5 at Midway. We had about an inch to two inches on Friday, which made the roads mm-hmm. treacherous. We are now, believe it or not, in a stretch of 10 consecutive days where we've had a trace of snow. If we get it before midnight tonight, we'll get another one tonight, or another one today, we'll get another one tomorrow. We'll probably see some flurries of snow and maybe a trace on Tuesday. And all of a sudden, we're up to 26.5 inches for the season. Rockford sitting at 35. The Clipper system that comes through, in a, in a normal environment, this would be a two to four event, but because the atmosphere is so cold, instead of your normal one inch of water, 10 inches of snow, we're looking at probably 20 to one on the front side. What's amazing is this Clipper system, if you want to call it that, kind of a hybrid Pacific storm, actually has winds of 50 to 60 miles an hour out of the south at 5,000 feet by early tomorrow morning. That's going to blow all the cold air out. We're going to warm up to about 34 degrees. And then the bottom drops out. We'll have two different fronts. After we get four to six inches of snow here in the city, six to eight across the northern suburbs, eight to 12 in Wisconsin, Arctic front number one comes through about two o'clock tomorrow. That'll drop the temperatures from the low 30s to mid 20s. And then Arctic front number two comes through late tomorrow night. And that'll begin to drop us back into the single digits, which it looks like we'll be in between Monday night and probably Friday afternoon. Let alone the fact that we could actually be below zero for 60 hours. I think any time you have a high temperature of less than five degrees, it's miserable. But overall, it looks like temperatures 25 below zero at Rockford, 20 below zero at O'Hare, 18 below zero both at Nick and the lakefront. This is one of those events that the wind just blows the cold air all the way out, believe it or not, uh, to the walk, to the, to the, to the, to the crib at three miles out. You could easily be 20 degrees below zero. Wow. And what we're really concerned about Warm, it doesn't get on Wednesday. Single digits, if not below zero all day on Tuesday, and a high of only 10 to 15 below during the day on Wednesday. Most likely, everything is going to be closed down on Wednesday. And we can actually finish this up with another two to four inches of snow on Thursday. So the real core of the cold air is basically Tuesday morning to Thursday morning with Wednesday pretty much between 6 a.m. and about 10 a.m., the coldest four hours you'll ever see around here since probably 1985. Wow. There you go. Um, Gee, thanks. That, yeah, really. And 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 a month and a month ago, we were wondering where the winter was, and here it is. Yeah. Hey, you know, real real quickly, I know we're running out of time here. The fact that we have six to ten inches of snow on the ground is great because everything that's planted is insulated. All the animals yep. that like to burrow under the snow and into the ground have a nice, warm home. Last few times we got really cold, the ground was bare. So the fact that we have a lot of snow on the ground, this is actually good news. From an agricultural environment, I, I totally agree with you. Thanks a lot, Rick. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. I want to thank everybody on the show today. Until next time, go green or go home. Stadler, uh, what is that? It? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.